Amen. Well, good, good morning, Redeemer. It's great to see you all. I'm still amazed that we can play flag football when it's almost December. Uh, it was great to be with you all yesterday and this morning to be able to preach the word. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 58. So I invite you now to turn there so that we can read it together. Please stand as I read from our passage. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Well, in Marvel's Captain America, a movie I'm sure many of you know well, Steve Rogers wanted to join the army with great zeal. He applied to join the army several times, yet he was ineligible. He had several medical conditions, if you remember. Some of those medical conditions included asthma, heart palpitations, bone and joint deformity, and high blood pressure. Therefore, he was deemed unfit for service. He was not able to legally join. He was unfit for the army. But even there, he, you know, he, he doesn't stop. He lies and he eventually joins the army. But he still needed transformation as he didn't do well. He needed to change. He needed to get rid of all his weakness and shortcomings. And so he does when he is transformed by science and successfully becomes the superhuman Captain America and acquires superhuman strength, size, and speed. His body was completely transformed, wasn't it? And eventually he would become the greatest soldier America has ever seen. Well, when it comes to the kingdom of God, When it comes to heaven and being with God, who has no corruption, no sin, no imperfection, we too should understand that in of ourselves, we are all unfit to enter the kingdom of God. We have sin. Our bodies age and decay and die. We get sick. We get cold. We are weak. The common cold can knock us out for several days. During the height of COVID, we saw many people hospitalized and many eventually died. We live in a futile world. Things are not as they should be. Death and disease run rampant. We can be hit by a car. We can be struck by lightning. We can be diagnosed with cancer. Death comes. Disease and sickness comes for all of us. Tragedy can befall any one of us and our lives can end or our bodies can be significantly injured. We are unfit for the kingdom of God in our current state. If the kingdom of God is for the imperishable, 
if the kingdom of God is for the perfect, if the kingdom of God has no pain or death, how can we who are perishable, imperfect, and corruptible inherit the kingdom of God? Well, brothers and sisters, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One day, death and sickness will be no more. And as we consider our passage this morning, let's be thankful and hopeful for the bright future ahead as we consider three things from Paul. Number one, believers shall be changed in verses 50 to 53. Number two, believers shall not die, verses 54 to 57. And lastly, believers shall stand firm, verse 58. And first, believers shall be changed in verses 50 to 53. You see, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the resurrection of the body. One of the great hopes of the Christian life is that we as God's people will be raised just as Christ was. One day, our bodies will be made new. We will have resurrection bodies with no corruption or imperfection. There may have been some confusion, however, about the resurrection of the dead. And Paul, in chapter 15, clarifies this. The Corinthians questioned the reality of the resurrection because a very dramatic change would need to occur in them. They didn't believe that it it could happen, perhaps. Perhaps they doubted the reality of being able to change and being able to inherit God's kingdom one day. They may have doubted the possibility of being raised to new life in God's kingdom. And indeed, there is a problem. We are flesh and blood. We are immortal We are unfit for the kingdom of God in our current state. Paul will explain this, but Paul in this passage will also affirm this instantaneous change to come for believers. And here in verses 50 to 53, Paul first writes about the reality of being raised and of receiving our imperishable bodies. Indeed, we will be changed and raised with Christ, and he explains how. But first he begins with the problem, that is our flesh and blood. In verse 50, Paul says, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable perishable inherit the imperishable. Various commentators seem to understand flesh and blood to point to the physical, that is, to our bodies. Our physical bodies, as they are, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But what about it makes it so that we cannot inherit the coming eschatological or future kingdom? Why can't our bodies, as we know it, be part of God's future rule and reign in the new heavens and earth? Well, the second half of verse 50 says, Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. As others note, the, the, this line is parallel to the first half of verse 50. In other words, we can understand that flesh and blood is equivalent or further explained as being that which is perishable or that which is corruptible. In contrast, the kingdom of God is imperishable. If our bodies are perishable, corruptible, then there's a problem. One author says, flesh which is fallen and mortal because of sin cannot inherit the imperishable. Our flesh, our bodies, as it is, they decay. They are weak, they are vulnerable, they are frail, and they will perish and fail. So there is definitely a problem, brothers and sisters. Our bodies are not the way they were meant to be. Even in the prime of life, our bodies can still fail us. They can still get hurt. They can get sick. Eventually, wrinkles and stretch marks will be a reality for us all. There's a reason why we don't see too many professional basketball players or Olympians over the age of 40. If there are, time is ticking. Age catches up with all of our bodies. 
Therefore, flesh and blood can point to the physical, to our human bodies now. It represents what is perishable, what is corruptible. But I don't think verse 50 only points to our physical, decaying and corruptible bodies as not being able to inherit the kingdom. You see, our bodies are the way that they are. They are perishable. They are aging and vulnerable because of sin. Sin has corrupted this whole world. And it is because of sin that we are mortal and fallen. It's not just a physical problem, but there's a deeper problem and a deeper reason for why we cannot inherit the kingdom as we are. So yes, flesh and blood in verse 50 points mainly to the physical, yes, to the brevity of human life, to our mortality. They are perishable, they decay, and therefore cannot inherit the imperishable. However, flesh and blood in verse 50 is also understood as a Jewish Christian axiom, and it reveals how only those who are pure and holy can rest in the presence of God. Verse 50 can point to more than just human weakness. It points to the need for transformation, for sin to be replaced with holiness. So yes, the second half of verse 50 explains our bodies as perishable. We need to be changed, but we need, as others point to, a full deliverance of sin. Sin affects everything about us, doesn't it? As we will see later on in verse 56, the sting of death is sin. We don't die for no reason. We die because of sin. Because sin entered the world and causes humanity to, fall, to, to die. So brothers and sisters, first we need to understand that we are broken. Yet the term brokenness shouldn't be used as some tame spiritual term or some euphemism to hide the reality of our human state. But the reality is that our brokenness, including our decay, our corruption, and it includes our decay, it includes our corruption, and it includes our death. It includes our sin and our fallen nature. We have the whole package of being fallen. Our flesh and blood is perishable. Our flesh is in need of a full and perfect transformation, both physically and spiritually. Well, if we left it at this, it would be quite a disappointing and dark passage. But this text that is meant to bring uh, these truths is also meant to bring thanksgiving to our hearts. And thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us with just this sobering reality, but he goes on in verses 51 to 53. In In verse 51, Paul declares a mystery now, something that was once not fully understood or revealed about the future. He explains something amazing that will happen to our bodies. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Sleep here, as it does in other passages in Paul's letters, refers to death. At the second coming of Christ, there will still be believers alive in this world, and they will not be left behind. They too, along with all believers who have died, will be changed. All believers will be changed. Change is coming. Change is coming. There is hope that is still to come. One author notes the first all here in verse 51 refers to all believers who are alive at Christ's second coming, which is at a time unknown. And it does not necessarily mean that Paul thought he would be alive at that time. However, the second all in verse 51 refers to all believers when it says, but we all shall be changed. Philippians 3, 20, 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
So what Paul is saying is that all believers, whether dead or alive at Christ's second coming, will be changed. Yes, at the present moment we are waiting, but take heart and know that change for our decaying and dying bodies is coming. It'll come when? Well, we don't know. We don't know what date that this change will come, but we do know that when it comes, it'll be in a moment, in a twinkling or a blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, it says. In other words, it will be instant. When Christ comes, the Lord of the universe, with his infinite power, will transform and change our lowly bodies. The Corinthians and all of us do not need to doubt. We don't need to worry. When, not if, when Christ comes again, we will, he will bring everything to completion. Our change and transformation will be dramatic, and it will be full. It will be amazing. Up to this point, I've been saying, at the coming of Christ, well, why can I say this? As others know, that this trumpet points to the day of the Lord, the manifestation of God's presence. And more specifically, it refers to the second coming of Christ. There are both Old and New Testament pictures here. Consider, for example, Zephaniah 1, 14 to 16. I'll just read it for you. It says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities, against the lofty battlements. And in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. In the future, this trumpet will signal the second coming of the Lord Jesus. It will be terrifying for many who oppose him, yes. But a signal and sound of great hope for those who believe in him, who trust in Christ. For the Lord will bring forth his people, both living and dead. He will change us. And verses 52 to 53 further explain what happens in this glorious moment. The dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. The living and the dead who trusted in the Lord will be all changed. Why? Well, verse 53 says, For this perishable body, This perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. It must. It is essential for all believers, both living and dead, to put on the imperishable, to have their current bodies made new, to be transformed. That is, not completely new bodies, but changed and transformed heavenly bodies. Our bodies, once filled with pain and decay, will be changed and transformed to feel no pain. And to be a body that will never break down. Bodies filled with cancer and disease will be renewed with no sickness or problem. Our weak knees will be strong. Our blind eyes will see. Our dull minds will be made sharp. We will will be perfected and changed thanks to the Lord. With this, brothers and sisters, I ask, where is your hope today? Is it in this world that is passing away? Is it in your good looks? Is it in your physical appearance or in your nice clothes and possessions? Is it in in your health and ability? Well, if so, you will be disappointed. 
Your looks and strength will fade in, th- in this life. Your body will deteriorate. Your mind will grow dull. Your health may fail. So don't put your hope in your body or in yourself. But put your hope in the Lord who will make all things new in the end. He will renew and transform this world and his people. And that includes your very body. He will perfectly change you to be fit for the kingdom of God in Christ. You know, our culture and Bruno Mars says that you're perfect just the way you are, to not change, that you're amazing. But the truth is, we aren't. We aren't perfect. We do need change. We aren't amazing. But for believers, the change we hopeful is not sinful and worldly change. It's not to look to ourselves more. No, it's a supernatural change, a heavenly change, a change that only the Lord will accomplish when he comes again. Your knees not working like they once did. Your facial features not as young as they once looked. Issues with your back, high blood pressure, trouble seeing, immune system, acting weak. Well, take heart, brothers and sisters. Your frail bodies will be changed and raised imperishable. This is hope for us as believers. I know as RBF, we are generally a young congregation. There hasn't been uh, many funerals for our Redeemer family. There hasn't been a wave of great sickness. But when and if dark and difficult seasons come, when death arrives and sickness makes its face known, remember this passage. And even now, don't forget, change from the Lord is coming. One day all your pain and weakness and sadness and darkness will be washed away. Your struggle with the flesh will be no more. Your struggle with anger, lust, and worldliness will be gone. Your unnatural desires will be gone. Your physical pain and deterioration will be no more. We should long for this change, brothers and sisters, for our weak, frail, and sinful bodies to be renewed and transformed to be fit for the kingdom of God. Do you long for this change? Do you hope for what is to come in eternity? It's going to be amazing. Brothers and sisters, what hope we can have in the Lord for the future. Indeed, we shall be changed, and it will be a glorious day. Yet not only will believers be changed, but believers shall not die. And we see this now in verse 54 to 57. Believers shall not die. Christ lived, he died on the cross, yet he was raised and he rose from the dead, never to die again. So we too, as his people, shall die in this life, but we will be raised, never to die again. We die in this life, but we will live for eternity. Believers shall not ultimately die. They shall not ultimately die. The change that all believers will one day experience, the receiving our resurrection bodies, only affirms this truth. Death will never come again. Death is not ultimate for God's people. Paul says in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Keep in mind, it's not an if, but a when. This transformation and change will indeed come. Our perishable bodies will put on the imperishable and immortal. Our resurrection bodies shall never die, never age, never decay. Yes, and when this happens, we will more fully see the promises of God fulfilled. Death will be swallowed up in victory. That's a promise. 
First, in verse 54, Paul cites an Old Testament passage which Ben already read for us. Isaiah 25, 8, which says this. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Paul here refers to Old Testament promises of swallowing up death. God wipes away tears. And I believe he does this in this context because at the return of Christ, when he brings forth our resurrection bodies and makes all things new, believers will fully realize the promise of death being swallowed up forever. At the moment, however, death still exists, doesn't it? Children die. Grandparents die. We will all die on this earth in our current bodies. But when Christ returns, we will be raised Never to die again because we will be raised imperishable and immortal. Therefore, death will indeed finally be swallowed up. It will be taken away for all believers at Christ's coming. And furthermore, in verse 55, Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And here he cites another Old Testament passage in Hosea 13, 14. And it says this, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. As others highlight, Hosea speaks here of judgment upon Israel. However, there are these few verses, such as the one I just read, of hope and redemption. Yet since Paul is highlighting this verse in 1 Corinthians, the promise of redemption found in Hosea is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and ultimately in the lives of believers thanks to Christ. When Christ transforms his people, he will fulfill these promises because death will no longer have any victory. Death will be eliminated and immortality and perfection will rule. Paul looked forward to this day where he'd be able to say with Hosea, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This is great news and hope for believers, for you and me. Death for believers is not the ultimate destination. Yes, at the moment, death does indeed hurt. Death does seem to rule and reign because it's all around us. We ourselves will die in this life, but it won't have the final say, brothers and sisters. Thanks to Christ who overcame death when he put death to death through the cross and through his resurrection. When my grandpa died, there were tears and pain. My grandma especially felt the pain of it as she lost her beloved husband, whom she married at 19. A life lived with the one she loved was now over. She was no longer his wife, for he died. And I'm sure it stung. I saw as those tears went down her cheek. It hurt. It was tragic. Seeing him in the hospital and, and watching my grandpa say goodbye to her, my grandma say goodbye to her beloved husband was painful. The pain and, in a sense, the victory of death was still there. It's still here. Yes, tears will flow, but it won't always be here once again for believers. One day, both my grandma and grandpa will receive their resurrection bodies and be changed. Age and disease will no longer be against them. My grandpa, though dead, lives and will one day receive his resurrection body, which will never die. But for now, and until Christ returns, there is still pain and perhaps a type of sting since death still exists. Well, as we move on, Paul further expands on this in verse 56 when he says, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. 
death stings because it's a result of sin. Why does death sting so much? Why does it hurt so much? Well, death wasn't meant to be. It's unnatural. It's because of sin. It's the consequence of our rebellion against God. When death comes, it's not simply the natural cycle of life, but it is the, the, the consequence of our moral rebellion and failure against God. We deserve death because of our sin. But on a deeper level, as one author notes, outside of Christ, sin gives death its sting because sin separates people from God. Consider Romans 2, 8-9. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 2 Thessalonians 1, 69. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Indeed, the wages of sin is death. Death is a result of sin. Death is a horrible thing. It exists because of sin. It's what we all deserve. And sin gives death all the more of a sting because sin separates unbelievers from God when they die. And furthermore, the law helps us understand what sin is. It tells us what is right and wrong, and it shows us that we are all wrong. The law gives power to sin because it shows us that we are all sinners. We are under sin since we all disobey God's law and commands. Sin can tell us to look at the law, and through the law, it can convince us that we are all evil. We have all disobeyed God's good commandments and statutes, and therefore, we have all sinned. The law is powerful. It, it convicts us of our shortcomings. So all this about death, sin, and the law are true. It's the reality, yes. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Yet, brothers and sisters, don't miss the greater point now found in verse 57. Paul's logic brings forth a great concession, and we can understand it by saying, Nevertheless, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God takes away the sting of death, and he even takes away eternal death. Through Christ, believers are redeemed and united to God. They do not have to face an eternal separation from God in hell. In Christ, the law is fulfilled. Christ, unlike us, followed the law completely. He was perfect, and therefore sin has no power over him. Through faith in Christ, he transfers his perfection, his righteousness to us, as if we followed the law completely. And therefore, brothers, uh, brothers and sisters, believers are not ultimately under sin and law anymore, but under grace. Brothers and sisters, thanks be to God who gives us victory through Christ. Death, because of Christ, is swallowed up. And death, when we receive our new heavenly and immortal bodies, will be done for once and for all. The pain of death, the reality of death, will depart. So as believers, we should be the most thankful people. Not ultimately for our houses or for our cars or even for our families, but because of Christ, in Christ, death is swallowed up. In Christ, death has lost its sting by being united to God. In Christ, we live. If death, and sin, if death and sin were ultimate for us, then we would indeed all be losers, wouldn't we? But what a victory, what a win we have in Christ. A win Christ achieved on his own, but on our behalf. And one day, in a more full sense, when we are changed in a blink of an eye, 
we will be able to say with Paul and all the other saints, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God. Well, this is good news for believers in this room, isn't it? And I hope we can feel that in our hearts as believers. Yet for those of you in this room who are unbelievers, consider death and sin for a moment. Death is your great enemy. Not only is it your great enemy, but the Lord of the universe is also your enemy at the moment. Death will sting greatly, not only because life will end for you, but because of your sin. Because of sin, you are separated from God. And because of sin and your rebellion against God, because you have disobeyed him and done evil in this life, you stand condemned. Consider this. Despite all your labor and work in this world, you will still die. Yet when you die, hell and God's wrath awaits you. The sting of death doesn't just end in nothingness, but in separation from God with eternal torment. Hear this sobering reality, friend. Yet don't stop there. There is hope because God in his great love sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life on your behalf. To die on the cross and to take on the sin of his people. He paid the penalty that you should have paid, that we should have paid. He died the death you and us should have died for on the cross for sin. And three days later, he rose again so that whoever trusts in him and turns from sin can be saved can be victorious, can have sin and death swallowed up and be united to God forever. So won't you trust in him and say with us one day, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Trust in him today. Well, brothers and sisters, as we move on, let's consider how we shall all be changed. We can remember that. We can remember that our bodies will be made new in an instant. We shall not ultimately die. And that is a great hope that we can have. Believers shall stand firm. It's imperative. Paul doesn't, however, write all these words so that we would simply sit around on earth and coast. Yes, these are truths for us to take in and remember. But it's truth that is supposed to propel us to do good in this world. All these truths about our coming imperishable bodies of death being swallowed up is meant to push us to stand firm in this life, to work heartily for the Lord as believers, to not be tossed to and fro. Christianity is not easy believism where we simply believe and do nothing after. After being saved, however, there is much work to be done. There is a great battle and war to fight through. We need to fight against our flesh, against our apathetic hearts, for example, against our laziness, against the sinful philosophies and ideologies that seek to corrupt our hearts. He first says in in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. The word translated for steadfast here means being firmly or solidly in place. The NIV says, let nothing move you. In this context, we are to be a people who stand firm in the victory of Christ. Don't shift from the hope of the gospel. Don't run away from Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, we are to stand firm in what Paul delivered as of first importance in the beginning of chapter 15, namely Christ, 
who died and was buried and raised in the third day, on the third day. And furthermore, we can keep in mind all we have already gone through in our text today. Change and resurrection is coming. God is victorious over death in Christ. We shall not die. The kingdom is our inheritance. Therefore, when trials come, don't forsake the Lord. Stand firm in Christ, in the gospel. When your body starts to fail you, when disease strikes, when loved ones pass away in the Lord, don't fall into utter despair. When things don't go your way, when your body becomes an inconvenience, don't despair. When the next cold strikes, if you get COVID again, when you're unable to get out of bed due to some sort of bodily pain, don't curse God and be angry with him. Rather, remember these promises. Remember that when the Lord returns, our bodies will be made imperishable with glorified resurrection bodies. We shall all be changed in a second. So therefore, Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. Be immovable. And furthermore, Paul tells us to always abound in the work of the Lord. As one author notes, this abounding is related to anything that is connected to building up the church. We can do all, that, all the work that the Lord has called us to do with great joy. We can wake up in the morning knowing that we have life in Christ. We can make the gospel known to others with, with resurrection hope in our hearts, with great zeal and urgency. If separation and utter despair awaits unbelievers in death, then we need to do the work of the Lord in proclaiming the truth of the gospel to them, don't we? There is much work to do. So go to work with a desire to proclaim the gospel. If you have the option, go into the office sometimes to make friends and to share the gospel with wisdom and love. Another reason we are to abound in the work of the Lord is because we can know that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. As verse 58 says, reaching the lost, serving the less fortunate, ministering to your family, being good workers and witnesses in the workplace, caring for your family at home. It all matters. It's not in vain. Your work in the Lord is valuable before the Lord. He sees it and he will one day reward our faithfulness. So the next time you're tempted to despair and complain about the work the Lord has called you to do, remember this. In the Lord, it is not in vain. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And furthermore, in the Lord, all things will be made new, and we will inherit the kingdom of God with, with imperishable bodies. So surely, brothers and sisters, during our short time here on earth, we can work hard. We can have the motivation to work hard. We can do the work of the Lord with joy and perseverance. It's not a burden to us because we know a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly inheritance awaits us. And we know that our labor is not in vain. The Lord sees all we do and again will remember and reward our faithfulness. Well, in application, how does the hope of eternity, of the resurrection and heavenly inheritance help us stand firm in this world? How does it help us abound in the work of the Lord? Well, the truth of the resurrection again and of being raised imperishable with Christ and inheriting the kingdom can cause us to not place our hope in this world, in our current circumstances either. If our hope is not in this earth, but in a heavenly kingdom to come, then this world should not shake us. The sinful desires and appeals of this world will become less tempting to engage in. The death of a brother or sister in Christ will be less devastating. 
for we will see them again in glory. The news of cancer and sickness in our bodies will not leave us hopeless, for our bodies will ultimately be changed and transformed one day when Christ comes again. So, brothers and sisters, perhaps life has been difficult lately. Perhaps you're tempted to despair, to give up, to curse the Lord. But remember, the kingdom is coming. A heavenly inheritance is coming. It is ours in Christ. We will be changed, and this world is not our home. So once again, stand firm. Don't give up. Don't despair. Put off your grumbling and complaining no matter what circumstance you're in. And furthermore, the truth of the coming of the kingdom and receiving our changed bodies can cause us to work heartily for the Lord because we know we will have a heavenly reward. Paul says, be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work of the Lord. For some, it's time to start coming regularly to church and to serve in some way. You need to think more seriously about the Lord's work of reaching the loss, of caring for your family. This is an imperative. It's a command that we shall stand firm and abound in the work of the Lord. You need to think seriously about these things. Some of you may need to put off great sadness and joylessness, for your hope is alive in Christ. For others, you're, you... You need to put away worldliness and fix your eyes and heart on things above. A new heaven and earth is coming. The Lord will return with a trumpet blast. Are you wasting your life? Are you living for this world that is passing away? Do you put all your hope in your current life and in the physical things that you see on earth? If so, it's time to wake up, isn't it? To put your hope again in the Lord, to do his work, to live with gospel hope. So brothers and sisters in Christ, You shall be changed, you shall not die, and you shall stand firm. Thanks be to God who gives us a great hope and strength in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that from your word and through Christ we can indeed have great gospel hope. We are a people not ultimately to be always sad and joyless, but we are to be a people with great hope and joy in our hearts for Christ lives. And because Christ was raised and because Christ lives, we too will be raised and we will live for all eternity with him one day. So God, help us in light of all these truths about the resurrection, in light of all these truths about being changed, help us to stand firm, help us to not give up, help us to not fall away before the change comes. We need to stand firm in this life. We need to be faithful in this life for we will be rewarded in the end. So help us to stand firm. And God, for those of us in this room who are struggling with sickness and difficulty and difficult circumstances, help us to take heart for we know that we will not always have this struggle. We will not always be the way we are. Hope is coming. A new body, a transformed body is coming. A transformed world is coming. So help us to trust in you, God, and set our minds on things above. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.